0: My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. Welcome back as we begin a brand new study. Um, we finished Philemon, and so if you guys aren't aware of kind of how we've been like constructing all of these sermon series, and by we I mean me, um, is from the moment that we planted this church, uh, we began in the book of Acts. And so for about a year and a half, almost maybe two years, we spent walking through very carefully uh, the book of Acts. And then what we did is we said, why don't, because we saw you know Paul planting all of these churches at the end of Acts, we said, why don't we go through and chronologically talk about each letter that he wrote to churches at times in his life. So whenever we begin letters, we usually go back to Acts and we look at where Paul was, why he wrote it, and we talk about the context in that. And so that has actually been the driving force behind almost all of our sermon series as as we've been moving forward. That's our overall what we've been doing. And so we just finished the letter to Philemon, and actually the next book that we're going to be reading is Philippians. But before we go into the next book, as you guys know, we always kind of take a little bit of a break from his letters. Um, I think that if we just continued and continued, we'd just be really heavy on that side of things. And there are, there's lots more in the Bible that we need to talk about. And so, uh, you know, you'll notice that we take breaks every now and again. We did uh, Summer on the Mount uh, this past summer. And talked about the Sermon on the Mount, and then um, after that we did uh, we did um, what's it called during Christmas? Advent during Christmas. Thank you. The word escaped me. We did Advent during Christmas, and then we jumped back in. So we went from uh, the book we went to the book of Colossians, then we kind of went into Advent, then we kind of went to Philemon. Well, I decided I was like, okay, I want to take another break from Paul's letters for a little bit before we go into Philippians, and I started to pray like God, wh- where Where should we go next? And it didn't take, it didn't, it wasn't like I heard from the Lord and he was like, you need to go to the Old Testament. I don't know what God sounds like, but, but I just felt in my spirit that we need to go OT. All right. Um, it's been a minute since we've been in the Old Testament. We used to be in the Old Testament a lot. Whenever we had large group on Wednesday night, um, we would go through it. And so we've been kind of missing that a little bit with our, with our growth group format. And so, um, so I thought, let's go back to the Old Testament. Well, now, as you guys know, the Old Testament is huge. How many books are in the Old Testament? A thousand books. <laughs> thousand books in the Old Testament. Not quite. Does anybody know? How many letters are in the word new? 39. Three, how many letters in the word testament? I mean, in the word old, it's still three. In the word testament, nine. So there are 39 books in the Old Testament. I know, right? So it's three and nine, but it's New Testament, so you have to do new math, so you do three times nine. It's 27. You're welcome, everyone. You're welcome. So 39 books in the Old Testament, 27. How many, how many just, y'all ready to go home now? You just learned something awesome and it's like, let's get out of here, right? Okay. Yeah. So you're welcome. So I'm like, how do we decide, you know, between 39 books in the Old Testament, what are we going to do? And, uh, and so I really, this is kind of funny because I really started praying and I was even having lunch with one of my friends who's a pastor in the Bronx. His name's Jordan. And I was like, man, um, I, you know, I'm fixing to go to the old Testament. Any ideas? Like, what have you been through in the old Testament? He kind of shared some ideas and I was like, all right. You know, I walked away and I was like, okay, maybe one of those maybe. And then I got a text from a pastor friend of mine who was actually in San Antonio and that's in Texas. And, uh, and, and, he was, and he just had texted a group of pastors and he was like, hey guys, I just want to let you know that I just spent January in Daniel and it was incredible. And he kind of talked a little bit about, you know, the time. That never happens. And so I was like, okay. So I went and I read Daniel and I was immediately just like, this is it. Like, this is where I want to go. This is where our church needs to go. Um, and I just felt that immediately. So we're going to spend about five weeks uh, going through the book of Daniel. It's a wonderful book, um, and I know that you guys are really going to love it. I'm excited to get through it together. Uh, so let's continue with it, and let's begin it. How many of you guys can remember back in the day, whenever you were kids? Some of you, it's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, how many of you guys can remember, though, back in the day, like, that, uh, people that you wanted to be like? like? You know whenever people ask you the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And 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 who or who do you want to be when you grow up? Who do you want to be like? What did you guys say? What were some things you guys said back then? It's okay. No judgment zone. Mike, Michael Jordan. I want to be like Mike. What else? Did you want to be a coffee person? Were you like that's it? Maggie Rogers. Hey, that's cool. What else? journalists want to be a journalist anybody else veterinarian really no kidding that's awesome david wanted to be your professional rollerblader i don't know i'm kidding you want to be a doctor no kidding that's awesome well i wanted to be a baseball player Whenever I was a kid, I wanted to be a baseball player. I was obsessed with baseball. This is back, this is back whenever like you had the, I'm talking like, who do we have? Like Frank Thomas, Ryan Sandberg, Ken Griffey Jr. Are these names ringing a bell anywhere? Okay, all right. So this was back, you know, back in the 90s. I was like in late 80s, I wanted to be a baseball player. and And the thing was is, is... I, so I loved playing baseball. Um, I, loved, I loved watching baseball. I collected so many baseball cards. Tamara knows because I brought them into my marriage, how many baseball cards I had. Um, and whenever we were going through moving here, we actually gave away almost every single one of them. Uh, I did look through some good ones. Like I had a King Griffey Jr. rookie card that I kept. I still have that one, so, you know. Um, and everybody was like, wow. No, everybody's like, I don't know who that is except for Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. But, uh, but I wanted to be like them. Like I, I would watch baseball, I would watch how they throw, and I was like, I want to throw like that. I would watch how they bat, I want to bat like that. I would watch how they scoop the ball up, you know, I'm like, man, I want to learn how to do that also. And so I would want to emulate them. I want to be just like them. And another thing that I noticed whenever I was watching baseball players is that they spit a lot. Right. So I was like this young kid and I'm like, and every time the, the camera would pan over to a baseball player, like he just, he spit. Right. And I'm like, whoa, that's cool. Like why, why do all the baseball players spit? That's what I would ask myself. And I'd be like, I don't know, but I'm going to spit. That's what I'm going to do, because they do it, right? I mean, come to find out, they were all chewing tobacco, right? And so they were, you know, they were spitting. But I didn't know that whenever I was a little kid. I just thought you spit, because spitting's cool, right? And so they were spitting. So I just remember, like, I developed a habit, I'm not even lying, whenever I was younger, where every time I was outside, I'd just be spitting on the ground, like, all the time. I'd be like, uh. any time I had any saliva in my mouth, I'm like, it doesn't belong there. It belongs on the ground. And so, I mean, I would just, I would just spit. It's, it's really kind of dumb. But, uh, but in, and it literally became a habit though. And I was, I was just doing it all the time. And I'll never forget one day, uh, we walked out of the house, right? So now we're outside. What can you do outside? Spit. So we're walking to the car and I spit on the ground and my dad just goes, what are you doing? And I looked up and I was a little embarrassed. I was like, he said, what, what, what is that? And I was like, I was just spitting. <laughs> you know and and he's like why and i was like i don't know and i never spit again <laughs> because i was so embarrassed by that right and and so like but we see these people and, and no matter how ridiculous they act if they if they're that high up like on our on our radar we're like man I'll, i I want to emulate that like i want to be like that well whenever i finally you know gave my life to christ which was much later in high school you know, God started to change my heart on, on, you know, cause that's what he does. He started to change my heart on what I wanted to be like and who I wanted to be, but also who I wanted to be like. And all of a sudden I go from, you know, wanting to be a baseball player or, you know, whatever else. I also wanted to be a musician. That's something else that was, you know, big whenever I was in high school that I wanted to do, but the Lord changed my heart. And so all of a sudden I started going, you know what? Like I started reading about these like men and women of God, like these really amazing men and women of God. I grabbed a book called The Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't know if you guys know what that book is. And I started reading stories about these people who loved the Lord and who actually died for their faith. And I, and I just remember going, man, I want to I wanna be like that, like minus the die part. But like I want like, I want to be, I want that kind of faith, Right. Like I would read in the scriptures and I would go, man, I want to be like these people. I'm reading these giants in the faith and, you know, you're reading through the New Testament. And, and, and like I said, God God changed my heart. And, and a couple of things that I noticed in scripture was, number one, God said, I want you to go to his, to his disciples. He said, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey the word of God. And so I knew that in my heart, I was like, man, then that's what I want to do. Like God placed that desire in my heart. And I said, I want to go and I want to share my faith. That's what I want to do. And, and so I started, you know, seeing people like Paul in the scriptures. And I, and I saw people like Peter in the scriptures. And I saw these guys that no matter what happened, no matter what kind of confrontation they came into, they would still share the gospel. I mean, they could be threatened to be beaten, and they were like, we're still going to share. They could be thrown in jail, and they're like, we're still going to share. And I looked at these guys in Scripture, and I just remember everything in me was like, I want to be like that. That's what I want to be like. And then I would read in the Old Testament, you know, and you would look in the Scriptures, and, and just like what um, Michelle read just a second ago out of 1 Peter, where it says, be holy because I am holy. Like, you read that, and I go, yes, God, that's what I want to be for you. I wanna be holy, he's changing the desires that I have. God, I wanna follow you, I wanna be obedient to you, I wanna be holy as you are holy. And so I start reading these men and women of the Bible who, who sought after the Lord, who had courage to seek after the Lord. You, you talk about Abraham and you're like, man, I wanna be holy like Abraham sought to be holy. You look at these women in the Bible, Deborah, like man, like, per- man, what a woman of God, I wanna be like that. Like you read these people and you're like, this is incredible. And one of those people who we're going to look at through this study is Daniel and a couple of friends that he had. And we're going to look at this, and I promise you, because you're going to read through Daniel, and it's going to be one of those things where you're like, everything in me wants to be like that. And guys, that's what I'm going to challenge us with as we go through this study, is I want to look at the life of Daniel. I want to look at the life of his friends, and I want to I want us all to just challenge ourselves and just to say, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit in each of our lives will go, be like this, be like this. And that's what we're going to talk about um, through these weeks that uh, that we're coming up on. And so we're going to spend about five weeks there. So what I want to do is get right into this. I'm hoping that this will make us better. I'm hoping that it will inspire us, make us better followers of Jesus, better people in general. And also makes us inspirational to others. Isn't it amazing how Daniel's inspirational? Paul is inspirational? I wonder if we're inspirational to anyone. You ever thought about that before? I wonder if we're, I mean, who who would look at our lives and go, I, that, that challenges me, inspires me, and I want to be like them. Is, are, you, are you one of those people? Well, let's dig right in, all right? We're going to look at uh, Daniel chapter one, verse one. And we're going to just kind of walk through chapter one uh, a little bit, verse by verse. And so... Let's read this together. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, and then we'll continue on, all right? So here's what it says, Daniel 1, one, During the third year of King Jehoiakim, everyone say Jehoiakim. You got it. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar, everybody say Nebuchadnezzar, good, of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. All right. Now, you know that we got to talk about some context before we get into stuff, right? So how many of you guys were here for um, the Isaiah study that we did? Were you guys here for the Isaiah study? All right. Off and on. Well, the thing about Isaiah, if you guys remember, it's a book of prophecy. And basically, Isaiah was the one who was like, hey, people of God over there in Judah if you don't turn and if you don't turn back to the Lord, like you're not following him at all. So God told Isaiah, go and tell them that if they do not turn back to me, that something is going to happen because the people of God were no longer being the people of God. And that wasn't gonna happen on God's watch because he had too many plans for the people of God. One of those being the birth of the Messiah through them. And so God was gonna turn their hearts back to him one way or the other. And so he basically said, tell them that if they, if they repent and they turn to me, nothing's going to happen. But if they don't repent and turn to me, then I'm going to have to discipline them. And that discipline is going to look not so good. And so Isaiah started prophesying about all these things that were going to happen. And one of those things was, is that Judah was going to be overthrown by a neighboring nation. So after we finished Isaiah, we were like, man, that's crazy. Like, and we knew that it was going to happen, but this is the beginning of it happening. So they didn't turn their hearts back to God. They decided to continue and God relented. He waited. He was very, very patient, but now is the time where God is going to say, okay, enough is enough. And this is what happened in this moment. So they didn't listen and Daniel 1, 1 is the fruition of all that. King Jehoiakim, right? He's the, he's the king of Judah. You guys remember that the nation was separated into Israel and Judah. Israel was already attacked by Assyria, and they had already been, you know, displaced. And then next was Judah. So you've got Jehoiakim, who's the king of Judah. He's been there for three years. And then you've got Babylon I'm pointing to it on a map in my brain right now. And then you've got Babylon, who uh, their king is Nebuchadnezzar II. That's actually who he is. And uh, and basically, Nebuchadnezzar is like, hey, let's go after him. But do you know whose plan it really was the whole time? God's. It was God's plan the whole time. And so that's what's beginning here, all right? So Judah falls. Uh, In fact, here's what it says next that happens to them. Verse two, the Lord gave him, Nebuchadnezzar, victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. Isn't that so weird? The, the, the Jewish king, like the God of the Jews gave favor to a Gentile king over the Jewish king so that he could get his people back. It was all part of that plan. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Now, here's something interesting. Nebuchadnezzar, can we just call him Neb? Let's call him Neb from here on out, okay? Neb was a spiritual man, all right? He was a spiritual man. It's not like he wasn't a spiritual man. He believed in and he worshiped gods. In fact, he worshiped many gods, but the Hebrew God was not one of them. And in fact, one of the reasons they took treasure from the temple and brought it back to the treasure house of their gods was because they believed in their hearts that their gods was superior to the Hebrew God, which is why they were even able to beat them in the first place. Back then, whenever they started attacking each other, it was, yes, are we greater than you? But more than that is, was, is our God greater than your God? And so they were convinced that their God was greater than the Hebrew God. And so they not only took people, but they took a bunch of things as well. And they just kind of brought that treasure back. So to kind of rub it in their face, right? But so like I mentioned, they also took some people as well. So verse three through five says this, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, everyone say Ashpenaz. Good. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Here's what he said. He said, select only. This is, this is uh, Nebuchadnezzar talking to Ashpenaz. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. David, you'd be in trouble, man, if you were there, bro. This is the truth, man. It's, hard. it's tough, I know it's tough. But I mean, think about it. Strong, check. Healthy, check. Good-looking, Moni. <laughs> check. Young man, I mean, we're on the fence, but you're still classified, I would say, I don't know. It says, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning. He's like wanting the cream of the crop. He's wanting, he's wanting the highest. He said, make sure they're gifted with knowledge and good judgment. Make sure they're suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. So then enters our main characters of everything. Verse six, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, were four of the young men chosen all from the tribe of Judah. So these four young men, okay? These four young men were among the cream of the crop. You've got Daniel, awesome, we know that name. Hananiah, okay. Mishael, interesting. Azariah, all right. But here's a few important things, okay? At this moment, Daniel is guesstimated to be in the age range of 13 to 16 years old. That's interesting. 13 to 16 years old. How do we know? Because Daniel actually lived to see the end of Babylon's reign. And how long did Babylon reign for? Do you guys know how long they were captive in Babylon? 70 years. 70 years. Even longer. 70 years. And so if, if, if Daniel was around 70 years later, he died around his, his kind of early to mid 80s. So he had to be in that age range of like maybe even as early as like 10 to, they, they, they speculate 13 to 16, but he was a young guy, all right? And so were those people that were with him. They were around the same age. And think about this as well. These are Jewish men, all right? Jewish young men. And come to find out, they are actually godly and faithful. It's interesting. Turns out that while the nation as a majority had turned away from God, there were some in the younger generation that had started to kind of grow up in the Lord. And that's gonna be important for later, but it's kind of cool that these guys were faithful young believers because their grandparents weren't. Like, where did this come from? And it's kind of cool because if you study the history, there was a little bit of a revival that kind of started in that younger generation, in the youth of that generation, and they're among that. So let's continue for just a second, verse seven through eight. The chief of staff, okay, what's his name? Ash, Ashpenaz. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. You're about to recognize some names. Daniel, he renamed Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. You guys heard those names before? But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. So as I said, it turns out Daniel is actually a young man who loves God and he had apparently been taught the scriptures and therefore he didn't want to touch this food. But why? Well, here's what we know about Babylonian history. The best of the best food Okay. Like the, the, the best food that they could conjure up was not to go to the people. It was to go as an offering to their God or their gods. Okay. And then, so they would, they would bring all this food. They would offer it to their gods. Well, what do you do with the food that's left over that you've offered to your gods? It's got to go somewhere. Well, it didn't go to the people. It went to the king because he was next. So that's the food that went to the king. And if you guys remember what it said just a second ago, that's the food that they were giving to these young men who were in training at the moment. And so Daniel, who knows his scripture really, really well, and he knows that it's actually a sin and it doesn't honor God. God actually gave a law that said, do not eat any food that has been offered or sacrificed to idols Daniel looks at this and he says, I cannot eat this. I cannot do this. I cannot drink this because it's unclean. It's been sacrificed. It has been offered to other gods. And here's what I love about this. I love the wording here. And actually, this is where uh, kind of the theme for the entire sermon series kind of comes from, living a life of resolve. Uh, Because verse 8 in the NLT says Daniel was determined not to defile himself. But here's what it says in the ESV. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. And I want to focus on that word resolved, because that's the word that we're going to use throughout this entire sermon series, is the word resolved. Living a life of resolve. So that word resolve, all right? I love the translation of that word, and I I think it does the original word better justice, because here in the Hebrew, this word means to set one's heart or mind on. To set one's heart or mind on, meaning that it won't budge. Your heart will not budge. Like what you are, what you believe is so strong that you will not budge on it. That's what that word resolve means. And you guys understand what it means to be set, right? I love that that that's the definition of it. How many of you guys have ever um, played with super glue before? Yeah, right? Or even just used it. Yeah. I mean, what's so wonderful about super glue? It's, it's quick setting, right? Like it sets so fast. And, and I remember being challenged as a kid before I knew what quick setting meant (laughs) that your friends are like, Hey, just put a little drop on your thumb and then just kind of hold your fingers together for about five seconds. Have you ever tried that before? No. Maybe it's different between boys and girls. I don't know, but I I did. (laughs) But you know, like as soon as, you don't even have to hold it there for five seconds, but as soon as you try to open your fingers, you're like, like it's set so incredibly fast. Like it will not move. It's immovable. You almost have to carve it. Like you have to saw it out almost, right? Well, that's what, that's kind of what he's saying about his heart is that Daniel's heart will not budge. It is concrete. It is solid. It is not going to move. It says that he was resolved, that he would not defile himself. To be resolved means that your heart will not be moved about anything. Is there anything in your life that that would describe? I mean, let's think about that for a little bit. Daniel's heart and mind was resolved to honor the Lord. His mind was resolved on godliness. And the reason that we can be sure of this in this moment is because the gamble that he just took by asking the chief of the king's staff not to eat the king's food. You don't just approach someone like that. You do not just defy someone like that. When the king tells you something to do, if the chief of staff tells you to do it, it's just as good as the king telling you to do it. So nobody goes against the king's chief of staff in that moment. All it takes is the chief reporting that to the king that one of the Hebrews refused to eat his food, the food, the king's food, his own food that he's going to share with them, and his life is over. Nebuchadnezzar was not a good guy. If you do more research on him, you read a little bit further, he's not a guy that's like, well, it's okay. No, he's a guy that wants to prove himself. And that's how a lot of kings were back then. And they will make an example out of you. They did not show grace and mercy. They made an example out of you because that's how you lead. That's what great leaders do. All right. And so Daniel decides to request, which is completely disrespectful and completely disobedient, to not eat the king's food. But the reason why is because he had resolved in his heart and his mind that obeying God, that honoring the true God was worth more than his own life. And as I read about Paul and Peter and and Stephen, who was the first martyr, and if I I read about Abraham and Joshua and Esther, Deborah, Daniel, do you know why I think that we read about these people and go, I want to be like them? I think it's because they all have one thing in common— and it's resolve. I mean, think about that. Like somebody who kind of waffles, right? Somebody who's tossed back and forth by the, by the wind, you know, in their stances and in their beliefs, nobody goes, I want to be like that. Like we, we don't look at someone who was like, yeah, I mean, I kind of, you know, God's, I kind of believe in God. Nobody goes, yeah, I want to be like that. No, we look at these people and we go, man, these guys have resolve nothing's going to move them. And we go, that's who I want to be like. Our inner being goes, that's who I want to be like. That's who I desire to be. And I think at the end of the day, we, we kind of look at them and go, I hope that if or when I'm faced with something as equally difficult, I can do what they did. I hope that that describes me one day, but it takes resolve. So what do we need to have this kind of resolve? That's what we're gonna be talking about over the next five weeks. What do we need to have this kind of resolve? How can we, when in a moment's notice are faced with a situation, how can we decide I'm gonna honor God and we're not gonna waver? Like with a set heart, a set mind. I believe it starts with conviction. I believe that having a resolved position and a resolved mindset starts with Conviction. What do I mean by conviction? I mean firmly held beliefs. Beliefs that cannot be budged, that you are so strongly convinced of that you will not decide something else. Everyone has convictions and they all come from many places. Every person in the world has strong beliefs about something. They have, they have convictions about things, all right, and coming from all over. But the source of conviction for people like Daniel and Paul, it was not their own logic. It wasn't their own reasoning. It wasn't the opinion of a politician or a celebrity. Hello? It came from the word of God. That's where their conviction came from. And that's exactly where our conviction needs to come from. If we are going to live successful, God-honoring Christian lives, we have got to, there are a lot of opinions in the world. Amen. A lot of opinions out there, but the only one that we need to be concerned with, the only one that we need to listen to is what does God say about this? What is the truth about this? And whenever we look at that, we will start to see what he wants and we will start to to develop convictions that are based on truth and not just somebody else's reasoning. And we have to do that if we are going to be successful at that. But there are a lot of pressures from outside forces. A lot of pressures from outside forces to live a life opposite of the life that God calls us to live. And I know that you guys experience that every single day. Daniel had opposing forces that were trying to get him to believe something other than what God wanted him to do. They didn't want him to live a life of honor and obedience. So I'm going to talk about a couple of things that they were pressured to do because I think we're going to relate to some of these things. Number one, they were pressured to change their thinking. They were pressured to change their thinking. The Bible says at the, remember in verse four that we just read, the Bible says that they were taken and were forcefully taught what? The language and the literature of the Babylonians. All right. So they were taken. They were taken from where they were and they said, you will no longer learn what you were learning, which was the Torah, which was the law of God how to be godly, how to be holy. They weren't going to learn that anymore. They said, you're going to learn what we want you to know, and it's going to be our language, and it's going to be all of our literature. Think about what that means. It means that these teenagers, okay, were being forced to learn and fill their minds with the Babylonian worldview, their view of humanity, their view of God's, their view of good, their view of evil, their view of salvation, their view of origin, The list goes on and on and all of it is going to be in opposition to what scriptures have taught them. All of it. Does that sound familiar to anybody in the room? Yeah. There was a pressure on them to change their thinking, but it didn't work. And as we read on in Daniel, it's going to show that it didn't work because they continued to be faithful. But why? Conviction. Conviction that wouldn't budge. Conviction that they knew was true from scripture and therefore they were not gonna listen to any other voice. You know, I think about in the New Testament, whenever the apostles were out sharing their faith and you remember they were brought in and they were beaten and they were like, you will no longer speak in the name of Jesus. What do they say? Who are we gonna obey? Are we gonna obey you or are we gonna obey God? Because we can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard. I think about that kind of conviction I think about that kind of resolve, being convinced that God's way is best no matter what. Conviction brings resolve. And I don't have to tell you guys that this world that we live in currently in 2024 will pressure you to change your thinking. Have you noticed? (laughs) Yeah, you experience it every single day, but let me ask because it's my job as your pastor, how are you doing? I know that you're in it every day. I know that you're being told every day something opposite of what's in the word of God. How are you doing? Is there compromise anywhere? Is there some place where your actions or opinions are opposed to what scripture teaches because of the pressure that you feel from the outside? Because guys, I'll be honest, the pressure of the language and literature of the world around us is having an effect on many people who call themselves Christian. It's having a huge effect on Christianity. And if there is a Babylon in America, we are living in it. We're living in it. You guys know, I mean, I talk to you guys about this all the time. It's way easier to be a Christian in Louisiana. (laughs) It's way easier to be a Christian in Oklahoma, in Texas, than it is to be a Christian in the middle of New York City. Have you felt the pressure of that? Have you felt the pressure of your thinking that comes from scripture being in direct opposition, and I mean strong opposition, to the people around you, the people you work with, your neighbors, the people that you meet on a regular basis? Yeah, we can feel it for sure. We need to be convicted. We need to be resolved, and we cannot let other people take their language and literature and change our way of thinking. We cannot do it. And let me just, let me just add this just for a second. You know, for those of us that have kids, I'm not saying that, I mean, you guys know that we homeschool. That's, it's not because we believe that's the godly way and the only way to do it. Um, But I am saying for our kids, we do need to somehow make sure that what they're being taught in school does not outweigh what they're being taught at home through the word of God, because they're not being taught the word of God at home, or I mean at school. And so we've got to make sure that we are counterpunching, basically what they're being taught in other places. We need to raise our kids up um, to be followers of God and them, giving them that worldview. Um, another pressure that I feel like Daniel and the others were, that, that they faced was to change their worship. This is so interesting. Verse 7, did you know that Daniel's name meant Elohim is my judge? That's what the name Daniel means. Elohim is my judge. Elohim is one of the Hebrew names for God. His name was changed to Belteshazzar, and the name that he was forced to take when he arrived in Babylon, that name means, may Bel protect his life. Bel is one of the gods of Babylon, and they changed his name to that. Hananiah Do you know what that means? Yahweh is gracious. That's what Hananiah means. Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh is personal name of God of the Bible. Shadrach, which is what it was changed to, means Aku is exalted. One of their gods. Mishael means who is what Elohim is. While Meshach means who is what Aku is. Azariah means Yahweh is my helper. And Abednego means the servant of Nebo another Babylonian God. Why would they do that? Why would they change their name? Several reasons. Number one, because they wanted to remove religious influence of their God and replace it with influence of the Babylonian gods. That's one reason. Number two, they wanted them to eventually forget their God and change their worship. We know, however, that it didn't work these men never forgot the truth. And guys, it's the same thing. This relates so well to us because it's the same thing that we see in our country. They may not force us to change our names. Like Eli's name is Elijah, right? Which means Yahweh is my God. Nobody's forcing him to change his name to be like, there is no God. Nobody's doing that. But guys, what we are seeing and what we have watched over the last several decades is people of a different faith successfully begin removing God from schools and other public places. And you're like, what do you mean of different faith? What faith? The faith of no faith. I call that a faith. And they start to do that and they have successfully changed worship for, have you thought about this? They successfully changed worship for a large majority of our country. They have done that. They've done very well. They didn't remove worship. They just changed it. And I say a different faith because everybody worships and has some sort of faith, faith from believing that God is there to faith in believing that he isn't there, but both are faiths because it does. I actually think it takes more faith to believe that God doesn't exist. Because I think it's very apparent and obvious whenever we just look around us and we look at the intricacy of, of humanity and we look at all the historical stuff that, that we see throughout scripture. I actually think it takes a lot of faith not to believe in God, but there are people that have that faith and they got into our country and the DNA of, of who we used to be. And they said, we, we are going to change the faith of our country and it's happened. It's happened and we, and we can see that it's happened. And so I want to ask, how are you doing? Are you allowing what you are in to change your worship, to change your faith? Is God central in your life? And then finally, we already looked at the pressure on them to change their way of living, um, You because know, they refused in that moment to disobey what God had asked them, uh, of them by eating the food that had been offered to idols. They wanted to change their way of living. And guys, this world is going to put pressure on you to change the way that you live. Whenever you read in scripture and you're like, God wants me to be like this, and then you play that out, in your real life, people are going to go, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Be different. They're going to want you to compromise your convictions, to blur the lines. They're going to say things like, it's not that big of a deal. We already got our flesh working against us saying it's not that big of a deal. But we've got also the world around us saying it's not that big of a deal. I had a student in youth ministry... Um, who was a really good athlete, all right? And he was, he, uh, was a really good baseball player. And he tried out for this really elite baseball team that only like the best of the best make. And he actually ended up making that team. And whenever they've got their schedule, what they saw was that a lot of their games were played on Sunday. But you see, this student had already had the conviction that Sunday was set aside for church. That was the Lord's day. That's the day that I'm, I'm going to church. I'm going to see the family. I'm going to see these people that I do life with. I'm going to be encouraged. I'm going to grow in my faith. And I even say that right now amidst a world that really doesn't see things that way anymore that Sunday is, yeah, I can make it to church. If I can make it to church, if I don't make it to church, it's not really that big of a deal. Like we have that kind of around us. But, but this teenager said he was faced with this decision. And you know what he decided? Oh, even though all the people around him were like, it's not that big of a deal. He decided I'm not going to play on the baseball team because I'm not going to put that as a priority over church. And and I would love to have said that, you know, he stood his ground and then people were like, okay, yeah, then we won't have baseball games on Sunday. We're going to have, no, he got cut from the team. You're not that big of a deal, kid. You're going to put God over baseball, then you're out. And so he didn't make it. Like he ended up not playing for that team. And I'm sure that, you know, it hurt whatever plans he had for the future or, or you know, whatever in baseball. But here's something that's amazing. A couple of years later, there were some other kids in the youth group that were coming up and they started to become like major leaders in the youth group. I mean, like kids that you're just like, man, these guys love the Lord. I mean, they were sharing their faith. They were awesome. And one of them shared his testimony and his testimony began whenever he said, actually, I've never told this person this, but whenever so-and-so chose church over baseball, that changed everything for me. And that kid's a youth pastor now. And so we may, we may be forced with some of these decisions, but if we choose what we are convicted about and what the Lord has shown us through his word, we will be blessed by it. It, it will work out for us better than if we didn't choose him. 100% money back guarantee on that. All right? Like, I promise you that that's the truth. And, and some may think it's a small thing, just like for Daniel. Some may have gone, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Just eat it, man, right? But here's what I've learned. Our obedience and the small challenges prepares us for bigger challenges to come. Prepares us for bigger challenges to come. Jesus said this very thing in Luke 16. Look what it says. One who is, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Let's read what happened because Daniel and and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we can call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I really don't like calling them that because that's not their God-given names. Yet it's the people that we always refer to them as, and what we're doing is we're removing their God-given names whenever we call them that. So I would rather call them Hananiah, what is it? I know you guys are like, man, I've been memorizing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego since I was five. How am I supposed to remember these names now? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, right? What happens to them? They chose and they made their decision. Verse nine, here we go. Now God had given the chief of staff, Ashpenaz, both respect and affection for Daniel. Wow. But he responded. Ashpenaz still said, I'm afraid of my lord the king, Old Neb, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. So he's like, man, if you don't eat good, then you're going to look it. And if you don't look it, then they're going to ask questions and I'm going to be the one that dies. So Daniel spoke with the attendant. All right. So he's he's like like the chief of staff, his attendant, who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He said this please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water daniel said and at the end of the 10 days see how we look compared to other young men who are eating the king's food you know what he's basically saying god didn't tell us to eat like this because we would get small and short and die like god knows what he's talking about That's the faith that they have in this, all right? So he's like, go ahead, test us for 10 days. See how we look compared to everybody else that's eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. And the attendant agreed. He's like, all right, I'll do it. And he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. Go figure. And this is actually where, um, you know, I personally like the NLT translation better because the ESV says at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. I mean, I personally prefer people to see me as healthier and better nourished. Okay, So that's what I want you to call me. Hey, you're pretty well nourished. <laughs> all right. So after that, okay, verse 16, after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided by the others. He's like, go for it. And look at verse 17. And God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. That's going to come in handy later. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service, and whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. And Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus." Through their obedience, God not only protected them, but gave them favor with this king and also kings to follow. Because you know who King Cyrus is? Is he a king of the Babylonians? He's a Persian king. He's the first Persian king. And who is he, what's he responsible for? Getting, back, getting Judah back to their land. And so that means that he remained in that position through Nebuchadnezzar II through Nebuchadnezzar III, and also Belshazzar, who we're going to read about later. Remember the hand—I don't know if you guys have read through Daniel, but there's the handwriting on the wall. The guy freaks out. That's Beltesh, or That's Belshazzar, and he's the one that comes right before Cyrus. So that means that these men had godly influence in their land from here on out because of their faithful obedience in that moment, because of their resolve not to compromise their conviction. You see what the Lord did? Because guys, we look at things and we look at situations and we go, I want to protect myself. The best way you can protect yourself, sometimes meaning stepping out in harm's way if it's being faithful to God, it's still the best way that you can protect yourself. You want to honor God, you want to live a holy life, you want to be an influence for your kids and friends and family, then resolve to be Holy. Reading the word, developing conviction, all of those things are going to help you live resolved. And do not compromise, all right? I try to imagine what would have happened if they compromised and the the powerful influence that they would have lost. And then I think about myself in in times where I felt pressured to compromise, and I did. And then I just think about what influence I lost in the moment. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be like that. You want to know who I want to be like? I don't want to be like a baseball player. I don't want to be like any celebrity. I don't want to be like any singer. I don't want to be like any politician. i want to be like this group of teenagers. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.